that I forgot to do something earlier. Um, in the back on this table, right back here on the left, my left, your right, um, there are some, some cards. And what these are for, these are if you want to update your directory information. Maybe you've moved recently. Maybe you've got a new phone number. What this is also for is if you would like to um, uh, have us, you know, if you'd like to share your information with us, maybe for the first time you can also do that. You don't have to be a member to fill one of these out, but this would be a great way for us to get some of your uh, information so we can keep in touch and let you know about things that are going on here at Skillman. So those are in the back here on top of this table. You can fill that out and drop it in that basket back there. But uh, it's good, good to see you guys uh, this morning. I see that we're all surviving the Texas summer. Today, I think, might be the first day it hits 100. I'm thankful that it's almost the middle of July and just now happening. But uh, <laughs> a hearty amen to that. You must be from here. <laughs> but uh, this morning, we're continuing our ser sermon uh, series that we began last week called One Another. We're going to be looking at different passages throughout the New Testament that are focused on our call to one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And today we're going to be looking at a passage in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. But uh, before we get there, I want to share a little uh, story with you guys. Whenever I was in my first year of seminary, I was working as a junior high pastor and one night, I was hanging out with some of the, the other people that were on staff at the church that I worked at uh, with, with the youth ministry that I was working with, and we were playing a game. I can't remember what game it was. It might have been apples to apples or something like that, but it was one of those kind of games where you have these cards and you attribute traits to people. And uh, I don't remember the exact scenario, but we were talking about something, and... and uh, I remember loyalty, the, the trait loyalty was kind of the one we were talking about, and I foolishly just kind of spouted off that I considered myself to be a very loyal friend and person. I don't know why I felt like I needed to toot my own horn or, or whatever, but um, anytime you do that, you have to be careful because sometimes God likes to reveal to you that maybe you're not as hot as you think you are, right? And so... In this case, that happened like minutes later. So we concluded the game, and we walked outside to, to go to get, get in our cars and leave. And one of my friends, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, we get outside, and we realized that, that Audra's car had been towed. We were at an apartment complex. She had poked, parked in one of those covered parking spots that are only for residents, and her car was gone. And... Rather than offering to help and figure out where her car was and maybe offer to give her a ride to get it, the loyal friend I was, I hopped in my car and left. And as I was leaving, they, the, one of my friends just you know, could not help but think about how I had just said how loyal I was. And she just jokingly said, she's like, yeah, some loyal friend you are. You know, and I just, it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, it's not not like the biggest deal in the world, but it was, a, night, it was a, t a time in my life when I realized like, man, sometimes what I think about myself and what I say about myself isn't exactly what I do. It isn't always true with how I live. And 
I'm not, you know, I don't wear that like some badge of shame or anything like that. It's in the past, not a big deal. But it illustrates that it's a lot easier for us to think that we're loving and say that we're loving than it is to actually be loving, right? It's a lot harder to actually live that out than it is to say or think. And that's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us as a collective body, as the church. We sometimes think and say that we love one another, but have a hard time really following through with that and really loving one another. How do we know if we truly love one another? How do we know if our love for one another is real and not just something that we think we have or say we have? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans 12, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 16 today to discover how we can know if we really love one another. And as you're finding that passage in Romans 12, I just want to let you know where we are in the book. In chapter 12, Paul, after outlining that righteousness is by grace through faith, in the, in the early parts of the book, explaining that we're all sinners, but that God has saved us by his grace through Christ's work on the cross. In chapter 12, he begins explaining what that very righteousness looks like when it's lived out in the context of the church. And in verses 1 and 2, he talks about how that begins with our personal righteousness and worship. And then in verses 3 through 8, he encourages us to use our spiritual gifts to serve the church. And then in verses 9 really through 21, but, it, but for sure through 16, the verses we're going to be looking at, he tells us how to love one another genuinely. And he explains, I believe, what that looks like. He gives us a picture in these descriptions that we're going to read. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see how we can know if we really love one another by seeing if we're characterized as a church by the things that we read. Are these things that are true of us are they true of the way that we live? And so I want to pray before we read this, and then I'll ask you to stand with me. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have brought us together in the church through your Son. We are grateful that as we just sung about and as we just expressed in, in these, the words of these songs, that you have rescued us, you have redeemed us by your grace because of Jesus, because of what he's done for us. We thank you that it is our privilege now to call one another family, that we get to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also know that sometimes it's hard to live this life, this, this, this calling as a church to really love one another and so I pray that today, as we read your word, you would give us encouragement, you would give us comfort, um, and you would give us direction on what that looks like. And we pray that you would, would use this time to glorify yourself, to draw us near to you. I pray that we wouldn't see this as a laundry list of things to do, but as more a description of what it looks like when we are in relationship with you, what, what happens as an overflow of that. And so I pray that we, we would we'd hear this um, as, as encouragement and not responsibility or duty, as an opportunity to, to express our love for you to one another. 
And so we ask that you would guide our time, that you would be with us, that your spirit would use this to transform us so that we would be more like Jesus and that our church would be characterized by deep love for you and deep love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand real quick and read this. This is Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You can take a seat. So right out the gate, Paul tells us here, he says, let love be genuine. And the the Greek word here most directly would be translated, you may have a, 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 a translation that says, without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine or without hypocrisy. And so Paul's point here is that our love should be real. Should be real. And then he goes on and he, and he says, in the rest of these verses, he, he, he gives us a description of what real love is. In verse 9 he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And his point, I believe, is that real love is rooted in righteousness. It is, in a, is it, in a, it is in accord with God's character and how he has communicated he wants us to be and live. So it is rooted in righteousness. Now that sounds kind of theoretical, kind of not, not very practical, and so then he goes into these other descriptions that are very practical and very clear. But when it comes to abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good in the context of, a, of the church, what does that mean? What does that look like? I think it, it, it simply means that real love in the context of a church does what is right and tells the truth. It does what is right and tells the truth. That is how we practically follow this in the context of a church. Because if you think about it, that's kind of the, the foundation of living in such a way that we treat one another as Christ treats us. That we treat one another in a way that is dignifying and respectful and loving. But think about it for a second. You may think that doing the right thing is not always the loving thing. Or it doesn't feel loving sometimes to do the right thing. I mean, there's, there's different examples of this, but one that came to mind is, you know, when you think of, like, tough love, think of an example of, say, somebody you know, another, another believer, is struggling with some sort of addiction, let's say alcohol. And you invite them, you know, they have no, because of their addiction, they've ruined relationships, their life has really become completely unmanageable and ruined, and you invite that person to come stay in your home. And because you love them and you want them to stop destroying their life, your only real rule is if you're going to stay here, you cannot drink. I mean, it kind of seems basic, right? And if that person was living in your home and you found out that they had broken that rule and they had had 
you know, partaking in alcohol, and as a result, you kick them out of your house, to them, that would not feel loving, and you may feel like, how is that really loving? Because now they're out on their own, they don't have anywhere to stay. But that would be a loving thing to do because that helps them see what they're doing to themselves, helps them see the destruction that they're wreaking in their own life. And it might give them the opportunity to see that they really do need to surrender and that things are really getting, I mean, that they're really at their worst. Because I think the problem is that a lot of times we think that grace equals no consequences. But that's not the case at all. Sometimes consequences are the means of grace that God uses to, to work in our hearts and work in our relationships to bring about real change and real deliverance. Now, it's about the heart we have and the spirit that we do it with, but sometimes doing the right thing is really, really hard. And it may not always feel loving, but it is the loving thing to do. And the other thing I said is that telling the truth is the real, the real loving thing to do. Now, I was trying to think of some examples of ways, I, I don't know, when I preach, one of the things that I try to do, I think it's good because then it, it helps me think about, this, this helps me think about like, well, what is going to be the pushback? But I try to think of questions that if I'm in your seats, what am I going to be like, hey, hey, what about this? Or I don't know about that because of this. And as I was thinking through this that, that way, there's two things in life that I think appear to throw a wrench into this whole idea that like telling the truth is the loving thing to do. First of all, if your wife comes to you and she puts on a dress that she just bought and she asks you, how do I look in this dress? And your real honest opinion is it's not the most flattering thing. What do you say in that situation? Okay, there you go. Maybe that is the, maybe that is the answer to that. But better you than me, my friend. <laughs> but the other scenario I was thinking of is like, like, I have to be real honest, this is horrible to confess, but like the other day, I was dropping my daughter off at school, and there's just this one kid at her preschool that I'm just like, you know, you hear, you hear of ugly babies, like, it's just rough. I don't, I'm probably getting myself in trouble right now, but... Have you ever been in a situation where your friend is like, isn't my baby so cute? And it's not the case. Like, you can't say no, but you don't want to lie, you know? Like, there's, you, you, just, you just smile. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know what you do. But other than those two situations, it is very clear to me that telling the truth is the loving thing to do. Because God himself is truth. There is no deception. There is no lying in him. And he calls us to live lives of the same, that are the same, to be marked by truth. So real love does what is right. It tells the truth. And if we want to know if we really love one another as a church, we really love one another, one another as a church when we see that we do what is right by one another and tell each other the truth. But let's look at verse 10. It says, this is the stuff that starts to get real practical and real clear. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I believe that his point is that as Christians, we're called to love one another in such a way that 
our love is warm and it is kind and it is, it is gentle. So our love should not just be some cold idea or some concept, but it should be something that has feet and has arms and it takes shape outwardly. Now, when I was thinking about this, you know, some people are just not affectionate people. And so they're going to kind of feel like, well, I don't know about this. It's just not my style. But that, I, think, I think we can pigeonhole affection into physical affection. There are other ways to show affection. And I don't think Paul's point is that we all need to be walking around giving each other massive bear hugs and holding hands and skipping in the churchyard. His point is that not, is not so much how we express this affection, but that we express it. And so each one of us has our own ways that we show other people who we love that we love them. And so it's not a prescription for how to do that. It's just saying, if you love one another, you'll be able to see it in the way that you interact with one another. Whatever your way of expressing affection is, it will be evident in the church if you love one another. And so that may not be physical. It could be another way that you do that. But then the second half of the verse, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so what that means is that as, as followers of Christ, our calling is to live a life that is characterized by wanting to give credit and wanting to give esteem to those who are around us. Being more concerned about them looking good than ourselves looking good. And this is really hard stuff. You know, because most of us, we, we like attention. We want people to applause, applaud us. We want to be recognized for what we've done. But our calling is to be more concerned with other people receiving that. Be more, more concerned with making sure that others receive credit and not us. And that is completely opposite to the way that our flesh wants to do this. And so... It's our privilege to pursue one another's honor. But then in verse, verse uh, oh, sorry, let me back up. I'm losing my, my place. But, so in, ver- in verse 10, I think if you, if you distill these things down to a basic point, it's just simply that real love gives affection and it shows honor. Real love gives affection and it shows honor. So we know that we really love one another as a church, when we give one another affection and show one another honor. For the sake of time, there's so much here, we would be here till four in the afternoon if we covered all of these little phrases. We're going to jump down to verse 15. If you jump down to verse 15 with me, Paul says this. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. I want to stop there for a second. I think we know that this means that we're called to share in one another's joy and share in one another's success and excitement. But knowing this isn't the real battle. The real battle is doing it. Because this isn't an easy thing to do. I may be alone here, but I really doubt it. But I think that most of us jump to kind of two things when it comes to other people's joy and other people's excitement when things are going well in others' lives. I think a lot of us jump to, uh, or one of the ways that we, we, we respond to other people's joy is by jumping to envy, being jealous of what they have or what they're going through. 
Think about like when you see somebody pull up in a nice new car and yours like barely started that morning. Your first thought is not, man, Lord, I'm so glad they have such an awesome car. And so, I, you know, isn't there sometimes something that's like, oh, I really wish I had that car. I really, really, really wish I had a, that car. The other thing I think we do, the other way that we respond to people's joy is we respond sometimes in bitterness. In our hearts, if we're really honest, we're bitter. We think about, like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody, you see one of your friends and one of their children has recently, you know, done something really great, and they're so excited, and they're celebrating this accomplishment. Isn't it hard to not get frustrated when you're working so hard with your own child, and maybe they're continuing to struggle, and you're just like, God, what in the world? You know, here I am doing everything I can, and they barely even try, and look at what they get to do. It's so hard to rejoice in other people's joy sometimes. And it's a real reflection of where our heart is and where, what's going on with us and our relationship with God when we see that we're not responding and rejoicing with them and we're jumping to either envy or bitterness. That's an invitation for us to, to invite the Lord and to do some work when we see that. So we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then in the second half of verse 15, we see Paul gives us the opposite instruction. He says, weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. I almost preached an entire sermon today on this little phrase. I'm convinced I'm not talking about us as skillmen. I'm just talking about us as believers. We really, really struggle doing this. Weeping with those who weep is probably one of the hardest things to do. It's something we really, really botch a lot of times. I don't think we know how to do it. I think in our culture, we're so prone to talk instead of listen. We're so quick to try and cheer people up because we think that's what they need. They need to feel better right now. And my job is to help them do that. When somebody's hurting, they don't need us to talk. They don't need us to cheer them up. They need us to just sit with them. They need us to just cry with them. I remember years ago when I was living over in, in Holland, so this was probably eight years ago, we were in a uh, devotional for a staff meeting, um, and we were going through the book, part of the book of Job that morning. And, and one of my coworkers, one of my friends, a fellow missionary there, she said this. She said, you know, Job's friends did really well whenever they just sat on the ashes with him. They became really bad friends when they opened their mouths. I don't know what it is, but like, it was like a light bulb went off that day, and I'm not saying that I've been able to heed this and really come through and do this well, but it just like, it was like, that's what it looks like to love somebody when they're hurting. You just be there. But we gotta learn how to just sit and be with people when they're hurting. They don't need us to talk, they don't need our words, they need our presence, they need our tears. 
They don't need us to try to fix their situation. They don't need us to try to fix them. They need us to just be with them. That's what they need. So real love, according to this verse, I believe, real love shares in the feelings of others. You think of it as if you're moving something physical with somebody else, like if you're moving a couch, you each grab an end and you carry that. I think that's what we're called to do when it comes to our feelings. Whether it's rejoicing, whether it's weeping, let's carry this load with other people. Let's jump in and be part of the excitement on the joy side and help carry the pain on the, on the sadness side. Let's look at verse 16 and then we'll, be, we'll wrap up. So in 16 he says, live in harmony with one another. That's the first half of the verse. Live in harmony with one another. And to put it really simply, Paul is just calling us to live in unity, to be marked by peaceful relationships. In the NASB, this verse is translated, be of the same mind toward one another. And Paul is not saying that we should all be clones of one another and have the exact same thoughts and the exact same opinions and everything, you know, think the same thing about everything. But what he does mean is that because of the gospel, because of our understanding of the fact that we are all sinners, broken, in need of saving, and because we have grace because of Jesus, that that should give us a mutual respect and it should draw us together, recognizing that we're all one and the same in our need for God and in our receiving of grace. Because of the gospel, we are all equal. There's nobody who's better than the next person. So we're called to keep this in mind and let that be the basis for how we treat one another. So we don't worry, we'll get into this here in just a moment even more, but we don't worry about if somebody else has more money than us or less money than us and that's how we treat them. We don't worry about their education level. We don't worry about where they live in town. We don't worry about all of this frivolous stuff and let that be the baseline for how we treat one another. What we're called to do is treat one another in light of the fact that we are one in Jesus, that we are all partakers of the same grace. And when we unite around the gospel, when we experience the peace that, and, and, and harmony that this is talking about, as we read about in Psalm 133 in our Old Testament reading, we truly experience that it is, true, it is good and pleasant. There is a depth of fellowship and community that happens when, that, when Christ is at the center of our relationships and we are united around him and we don't let other things get in the way of that. But in the second half of verse 16, Paul continues, he says this, he says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The reason why he says that on the heels of this peace on unity is that pride is the absolute enemy of all unity. You cannot be united if there's pride in, in your heart. We can't be united whenever pride is in the way. And so he is outlining for us that humility is absolutely essential for unity. And we read in Philippians 2 
this morning. That was our New Testament reading on Christ's example of humility. And the the verse that I love in this this passage, or the verses, is five, really five through, through eight. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humility. Giving up what is rightfully ours, which for us, that's not much, but giving up what we have, not worrying about what's in it for us, but laying that down and choosing to serve others, adopting this mindset, this attitude, that it is truly better to give to others than to receive, and that we're going to make our life about bringing whatever we can that is good to other people. And if we're going to be unified, that's the kind of mindset, that's the kind of attitude that makes that possible. So real love humbly pursues unity. We know that we really want love one another as a church, when we humbly pursue unity together. You know, as I'm preaching through this series, it's kind of challenging for me, and I said a little bit about this last week, but when you jump in to verses like Romans 12, this passage that we're looking at, um, we're not reading Romans 1 through 11. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't cover that in this sermon. And so what I want to be real clear about is, you know, these are instructions for us on how to live with one another. These are instructions for us to have ha- how to live in light of the gospel. But this is all only possible because of the gospel. We can't just, like, go home today with this list and be like, okay, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be affectionate, I'm going to show honor, and now I'm good. Like, that's not the response to this. This is more a way for us to, to just to see, is the gospel living and flowing in us? Am I really rooted in Christ? Am I really finding my identity, my everything in Him? If I am, this is, what it, this is how it expresses itself in the church life. But I just want to be careful and just give the caution, like, the call today is not to just go and strap this list on our backs and carry that weight around. The call today is to ask, am I trusting in Christ and use this list as kind of the litmus test of that? And so I just want to want to be real clear on that and, and just want to invite you today, if you don't see these things in your life, it is possible for this kind of stuff to be a part of your life, but only in Christ. He produces this in us. When we trust in him, he gives us the ability through the power of the Spirit to live like this. And so, you know, obviously we're not going to be perfect at this, and that's where we come back to the gospel. But if, if we don't see that any of this is a part of our lives, that's an opportunity where we get to go, you know, God, I need you. And I, and I, I really 
really need your son to give me the grace, give me the power to live like this. And so I just want to make that really clear today. And so if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never come to the point where you've realized that you're a sinner in need of saving, where you, that you are in need of the grace of God so that you can be forgiven and reconciled to him, today could be the day that that happens. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Anybody else here would love to talk to you about that. So if you don't know Christ, don't strap this list on like a laundry list. Pursue him, and let's talk about that. But if we're going to be a church that really loves one another, if we're going to be a group of people that really live in the way that Paul has outlined, it's going to take a work of the Spirit. He's going to produce this in us. It's something that only God can do. And so what I want to ask you to do, I want to ask you to join me and ask God to help you love the people of Skillman like this, to really love the people in this church. If we're going to be a church that really loves one another, it comes down to each one of us surrendering and coming before the Lord and asking for him to do this in us. So will you join me? Will you personally ask God to help you really love the people of this church? Not just think it, not just say it, but to actually love them. I believe God is ready. I believe that he is willing. I believe that he wants to help us increasingly become this way. And I want to just be very clear. I said it last week, but I want to say it again today. I believe that this is a loving church. I experience that this is a church that really loves one another. But the reality is that this side of eternity, we can always grow in this. And God invites us to do that, and he he wants to, to see that happen. So let's commit to ask him to help us to continually move in the direction of being people who love one another. Let's pray.